Thank you, Parker and Catherine and Hannah, for leading us so beautifully in worship today. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 21 and chapter 22. We continue our sermon series from uh, the book of 1 Samuel. You would have thought that after David slew the giant, that he would be hoisted upon the shoulders of the Israelite soldiers and he'd never have a worry ever again in life. Wouldn't you think that? It seemed to be the promises that were coming from Saul's throne when he was looking for someone to step up and slay the giant. But that was not the case. But David was loyal. And I mean loyal to King Saul. He became a musician for the king, playing softly and soothingly in such a way to drive away the evil spirits which haunted the madman Saul, hoping the evil spirits would subside. He became best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And he became a warrior par excellence, didn't he? You remember the song of the women, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul looked upon David with suspicion from that day on, 18.9. Saul's always ready with a spear in his hand, ready to hurl it at David when jealousy and evil spirits rage to pin him to the wall, Saul is afraid of David, and so he should be. For the Lord has left Saul, and the Lord is with David. There's a way. Saul is such a sad character, a mad character. There's a civil war taking place within the spirit of Saul himself. But look at chapter 18. Verse 14, how are things going with David? And David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. Saul does absolutely everything within his power to kill David, and David knows he has to flee, and Jonathan is perplexed. He can't believe his father has turned against an outstanding warrior like David, a faithful servant who had never done the king any wrong. Well, you remember David would never, ever harm. He will never, ever touch the Lord's anointed, the king. Saul becomes such a madman that he hurls his spear even at his own son Jonathan in a rage. So at this part, David and his men are on the run away from Saul. They're fiercely hungry. They're fugitives from Saul. No longer is it simply the madman Saul that's out to get David. Now it is the state of Israel. He is an official fugitive. He's on the run from the king. And so in a moment of flight, in a moment of hunger, David goes to the sanctuary. David on the run. Look at 21.1. He comes to Nob to Himelech, the priest. Why are you alone? That seems weird to the priest. 
Ahimelech is the keeper of the holy place. Why is no one with you, David? Ahimelech is the holy man who keeps the holy place, the sanctuary for worship. Holy means that God is other. Of all the attributes of the Almighty, there is no attribute that stands out more than holy, not even love. It is, we sang it this morning, holy, 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 the divine creatures sing around the throne of God. He is like no other. God cannot and will not be controlled, not by you, not by me, not by anyone. He can't be placed in a laboratory and completely examined and everything figured out about God. He's so different than we are, his ways so above our ways. I want us to notice some things in this odd little story that perhaps you've never even heard before from 1st Samuel. It's not a very popular story. Sanctuary, number one, sanctuary is a place to submit. Sanctuary is a place to submit. When we go to the holy place, like David is going to a holy place, we need to know coming that God is not in our control and that we need to come at that moment of awe and reverence, being overwhelmed by the love and the holiness of God. When we come into this room, we come for the purpose of submitting ourselves to the will, the way of God. We are drawn in by the love of God. We are drawn in by the beautiful things of God's creation. We are drawn in by what we understand about him, his love, his mercy, and his grace. We know all the while that part of God is beyond our grasp. We know all that we need to know about him to submit ourselves in a saving relationship. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, puts it this way, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A God who is so big and so powerful, so other. His voice, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, it shakes the earth. His voice shakes the heavens. God, the writer of Hebrews says, is an all-consuming fire. He calls upon us to offer our reverence, our awe, and we submit in sanctuary to God. David runs to the sanctuary and finds himself there surrounded by the holiness of God. In his life, David himself has been set apart. He's been anointed and he remembers. Sanctuary is a place to remember what God has done in the past and sanctuary is a place to look forward to what God will do in the future. Ahimelech, the priest, is disturbed. He's shaken. What's going on? Why is someone as important now as David is coming breathless into the sanctuary alone? David tells a lie, doesn't he? I'm on a special assignment for the king. If I told you why I was here, I'd have to kill you, he says. Ahimelech has no reason to doubt David, for David is always loyal to the king. I'm here on the king's business, David says. 
And I was in a hurry. We didn't have time to bring the bread. Do you have some bread? I'm hungry. My men are hungry. We're starving. Give us something to eat. Now, this story may not be that well known to you, but it was known to Jesus. Of all the stories that Jesus chooses to quote, he quotes this story about David. In Matthew 12, 3, Jesus says, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. It's Sabbath, and Jesus and his disciples are hungry, and they begin to pick the grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees object. You can't work like that. It's the holy day. Jesus says, teaching the Pharisees that sometimes the spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law. Have you not heard what David did? When David was hungry, he entered the house of God, the sanctuary, the holy place, and he ate the bread, he and his companions, that was not lawful by the letter for him to eat. It was the sacred bread consecrated for the priest and the priest alone. But David ate it when he was hungry, and my disciples will pick grain on the Sabbath when they're hungry. I don't have any ordinary bread, said Ahimelech, but there's a consecrated bread. If there's purity amongst your men, I guess they could have the consecrated bread. All my men are ceremoniously clean, David said. Each Sabbath, 12 loaves were lined up in two rows. They were there for a week, and then on the Sabbath, the old loaves were removed, and the hot bread was lined up and placed where the other bread had been. And it was time to change the bread. And, well, I guess your men can have the 12 loaves of bread. Ahimelech bends the rules just a bit for this messenger from, he thinks, the king. Devoured the bread is by David and his men. They are ravenous for food. They wolf it down. David was on the run, and David needed food. And David needed a sword. Look at 1 Samuel 21, 8. Verse 8. And David said to Himelech, Now is there a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. David needs bread, but just as much, David needs blade. Bread and blade to survive as a refugee on the run from Saul. Do you have a sword I could borrow? It just so happens that there is one sword there, and only one sword. It's a sword that has been in David's grasp before. The sword that he used to lift the head of Goliath. Can you imagine the size of this sword? It was Goliath's sword himself. I imagine it had been there in the holy place at Nob, kind of like a museum piece. The big sword, the kids would see it and they would say, Hey, look at that big sword. Who was big enough to carry that sword? Oh, don't you remember? Shepherd boy David used that sword to remove the head of the giant. 
We have one sword, David. You're well familiar with it. You've removed a head with this sword, David. If you need it, you can take it. Himelech is curious. He doesn't know exactly what's going on. But after all, David is one of Saul's choice men. He's on a secret mission. It's the least the priest can do to help the king's man, his son-in-law, is it not? Sanctuary is a place to submit to the power, the will, the majesty of God. There's a second thing I want you to see in this story. Sanctuary is a place to remember. Sanctuary is a place for us to come in here in all dignity and quietness. It is a place for us to remember what God has done on our behalf. It's always been a place to remember. A place to remember what God has done for Abraham and what God has done for Moses. A, a place to remember what God has done for Paul and what God has done for Peter. And a place to remember what God done for you. God's grace in your life is remembered in sanctuary in this room. Sanctuary is a place to submit, but also sanctuary is a place to remember in reverence. Do you come this morning to sanctuary? Do you come to this beautiful holy place in all submitting to the will and the way of God, but also come not forgetting but remembering. In God's word, God never understands when his people forget his grace, his mercy, his gifts. There's a third thing I want you to see. Sanctuary is a place to submit. It's a place to remember. But sanctuary is also a place to get help. It's also a place to get help. It's a, it's a place for bread on the journey. It's a place to get the blade, the word of God for a fight. David came empty, empty stomach, empty hands to the sanctuary, and David left full, full stomach, full hands. And he received what he needed for his emergency. There are many good reasons for coming to sanctuary, but it's a place for the bread and the blade of God's Word. Jesus himself said in his hour of trial in the wilderness, his temptation, man shall not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Isn't it interesting that both images here, bread and blade, are chosen New Testament images for God's Word? The bread of life is the word of God. Eugene Peterson says these aren't fanciful associations, bread and blade, but deeply experienced realities. David has been pushed by Saul to the very rim of reality, and he needed bread, and he needed a blade. We too come, I hope this morning, hungry for God's word. We need bread. We need blade. 
Paul himself tells us that we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The author of Hebrews says the Word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4, 12. David comes to the sanctuary, and David is desperate for God's help. David comes seeking to be filled when he's empty, seeking to be armed when he's vulnerable. David comes desperate. But there's another character in sanctuary that day, maybe a name in the Bible you've never even heard before. His name is Doeg. Doeg is there in sanctuary. Doeg comes. Look, look at verse 7 of chapter 21. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherd. Doeg is just the kind of guy who's listening in to every word uttered in the room. He stands there pretending as if he's not paying attention, but Doeg doesn't miss a thing. He's listening, he's measuring, he's absorbing all around. 21.7 says he is Saul's chief herdsman or, or shepherd. There's actually a better textual evidence, evidence that says he's the head of the secret service to give you a literal translation. Shepherd is not a good translation there. He is not a shepherd. He is in the secret service of the king and he's there for a reason and he's listening ever so carefully. To everything. The, the other text said he is chief of Saul's palace guard. There's an ancient text which translates Doeg as chief of Saul's palace guard. That's who he is. We've all seen them. Those Doegs in life, those who are opportunistic around us. They're people who seldom ever walk outside without licking their finger and sticking it to the wind to see where the winds are blowing on any particular day because they are opportunistic to their very, very core. Loyalty is not with those who lick the finger before they walk out. They have no principle. They have no solid soul. Rather, they're ready to jump on the biggest and loudest bandwagon every single week. They will change an allegiance as quickly as you or I might change long-distance telephone companies. It happens all the time. We have to be careful that there's no Doeg within us. Doeg is just the kind of fellow who, if he lived today, would watch a football game and not decide which team he was for until he saw who was going to win. He's a, he's a Dallas Cowboys fan this week and a Redskins fan the next week, always watching and measuring and changing to be with the winner. Is there anything more despicable than those who are opportunistic. 
having no foundational beliefs or commitments or team for which they stand, but aggressively manipulating and pushing and trying to fight themselves to the top. Only to say in the end, look at me, I've always been on your team. Fourth thing I want you to say. Sanctuary, it is all those other things, but it is not a place to come to further your own advantage. Sanctuary is not a place to come to further your own advantage. You see, Doeg is political from head to toe. When he comes to the sanctuary, unlike David, he doesn't come desperate. He doesn't come hungry to be filled or empty-handed to be equipped. He doesn't come like David, breathless and lying and grabbing and disheveled and dragging the sacred elements out into the everydayness of life. But rather, Doeg comes proper and calculating and opportunistic. He is, Calvin said, the consummate villain of Scripture. Saul is upset. Turn over to chapter 22, verses 8 through 10. And Saul's having a, a little tenter, temper tantrum. And he says, nobody's on my side. And nobody told me when Jonathan, my son, switched sides to David. And no one in the secret service is briefing me. I'm so far out of touch. Doeg said, I got a little news for you, king. I happened to be in sanctuary in Nob. And I saw Ahimelech. And I saw what he did. Let me tell you what he did. He fed your enemy, and he armed your enemy. Saul calls Ahimelech before him and says, Ahimelech, is that true? I heard that you fed David and you armed David. And Ahimelech is honest and says, you don't have anyone more faithful than David in all of your kingdom. He told me he was for you and with you. And that is what David had told him, right? I've done nothing wrong, said the priest, and he hadn't. Saul says, you will die for being on David's side. Orders the soldiers to kill Ahimelech and all the priests. And the soldiers, unlike Doeg, have some principles, and they know that the Ahimelech has done nothing wrong, and they refuse to use the sword against God's men. Doeg said, I'll do it for you. Kills 85 priests that day, and then... Attacks the whole town, men and women and children, Dewey and his men, and they kill them all. Dewey, why do you come to sanctuary? Don't ever use church for business relationships. Don't ever walk into this room as an opportunist seeking to promote yourself. That's doeg. Enter this room submitting to the majesty of God. Enter this room remembering all that God has done for you. Enter this room desperate and hungry, be filled and armed. But never come saying, what can I get out or from the people in this place? Don't come with agendas like the villain. Psalm 52, 
heading there tells us that David wrote it when he was thinking about Doeg. He didn't forget. Listen to the King David's words about the enemy that was in the house of God. In fact, David says later in this story, I knew Doeg was there. I knew he would do this. David feels guilty about the death of Ahimelech and the murderous spirit against that place. Why do you boast, almighty man, David says about Doeg, the loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever, Doeg. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at Doeg, saying, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks to you, God, forever, because you have done it. And I will wait on your name, for it is good the presence of your godly ones. Two men in the sanctuary, the same sanctuary on the same day, David and Doeg. David comes for bread and blade, desperate to be fed and armed against the evil enemy. Doeg comes with an agenda. Ears turned, hands ready, licking his finger, sticking it to the wind. He comes not desperate, not submitting, not coming remembering what God has done. Doeg comes for Doeg. No loyalties to the God of the room or the people of the room. So how'd you come this morning? David or Doeg? Let us pray. God, sometimes I fear there's a little Doeg in all of us. Forgive us. Sometimes we come to church with perked ears looking for privilege. Those hungry for you come desperate, needing to be filled, empty-handing, needing to be equipped. God, I pray if there's one watching by way of television or one in this room who needs to come and say, Jesus is Lord, that today would be her day or his day to come like David. Maybe there's others who need to come and be a part of this great fellowship. I pray they would come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.